Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. It felt like stepping back into the Dresden Burst after I'd been away from it for too long. Finally, I'm back in it. It felt like putting on like an old pair of jeans. For me, my rating could go up or down depending on how that book sticks to landing, which I still am confident he's going to do. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this story from Jim when he goes and writes his memoirs here after he's done. Or just shows up at Comic-Con talking yeah. about it. <laughs> I can actually watch these things now. You know, I haven't watched any of his cons or his, his, his discussions with the, that, that guy that doesn't write with his name Rothbus. And I haven't watched <laughs> any of that stuff. All right, what's up, signers of the Encelia Accords? This is Steven and Josh from Phantology. And today we have a special guest. We have Mike from Mike's Book Reviews, a popular booktuber. So what's up, Mike? Happy to have you on. Oh, popular. That's a strong use of that word. I'd say <laughs> just above the radar. How's that? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. If you're a known booktuber, I think that makes you pretty popular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think about it, it was just a year ago. People are like, who is this guy trying to talk about Wheel of Time? Yeah. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to talk some peace talks. This book is brand new. It's exciting for Phantology, actually, because I don't think in our existence we've had a book, a, a new release come out that we've been nearly as excited for. And it's been several years, I think five years now since our last Dresden release. So Josh and I just finished it this morning. I think, Mike, you got an advanced copy and you already have a yeah. couple videos up about it. So yeah, we're, we're real excited to talk this one. I think we have some pretty raw thoughts here. Hey, if you guys just finished it, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear these reactions because, you know, I had to have these reactions. I had to keep them to myself for a week, you know, so it was, uh, I know people are like, oh, poor you, you got to read the book early, but you know, the whole time I was going through this run, it was everybody telling me, oh, I can't wait to get to this part so I can talk to you about this. Then I got to read it for them. I'm like, well, now I got to wait to talk to you guys about it. This sucks. <laughs> it's like how the turntables have turned. <laughs> mm. I finished about two hours ago, so it's really raw for me. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, man. You're still hearing his voice in your head, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first, also the first Dresden book that I've listened to and not read. I guess I should add, I'm not an audiobook guy and I can't go one video without the first comment being, hey, do you know James Marshers read these? He played Buffy. He played Spike on Buffy the Vampire Star. I'm like, yes, I, I am aware. <laughs> I've been aware of this the whole run. It's not nothing against that. I just, I'm not a book, a, uh, an audiobook guy. I, just, I can't focus on them. But I like James Marshers. Yeah, I think we kind of go back and forth there. Sometimes it's just so much more uh, time convenient to, to do mm -hmm. the audiobook. But yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's a little bit harder to focus sometimes. But uh, to go kind of go off of that, Josh and I both read the first 15 books, I think five years ago, and we've been waiting for some time. But I know, Mike, you've kind of binged through all of these recently. So we may have a, some different perspectives here. Yeah, I thought that that would happen, you know, because I, I kind of made this comparison before where when I was reading Will of Time, all the people who had read it already were like, well, you're going to struggle when you get to this part, this part, this part. And as a binge reader, I was like, those parts didn't bother me at all. So I was like, it must have been different for you having to wait. So I'm thinking this might be the same thing. People who had to wait might have a different reaction to this book. Because like a lot of people I know didn't like Ghost Story. I enjoyed the hell out of Ghost Story. So I'm thinking... I also didn't have to wait a year and a half after the crazy ending of changes, you know, so maybe that affected my opinion there. So I'm curious to see with you guys' opinions, if that's how it is with, uh, with Peace Talks, so it's going to be a little different for you guys having to wait and maybe not being satisfied, having your, your, your thirst quenched. 
yeah, I think that I think that's going to get accurate, and that's I'm excited to get into the meat and potatoes of this because I think people are going to have similar like have thoughts about this book. I think it's going to be more divisive than people would have expected. What I said is I feel like we got to wait for Battleground before I can give this a fair shake because it definitely feels like a part one of two. Now, if Battleground comes out and I still feel like, hmm, I don't feel like I got very many answers here that might be, okay, now it's time to talk about this in a different light. But as of right now, I feel like as an act one, I'm personally satisfied, but it's kind of hinges on what happens in Battleground for me. Yeah, and I guess it's not too bad that we have to wait, what, 70 odd days now for Battleground. That's not too long. we're, we're okay waiting for basically additional chapters of the same story. Yeah. That didn't seem too convincing, Josh. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, so here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I want to wait until we get to the actual plot, like plot points to talk about this. But I thought that there's a lot of, there were a lot of scenes in this book that just didn't need to be here. And overall, I, my, my biggest problem with it is that I don't know why we couldn't have had this in Battleground be the same book just based on the kind of amount of fluff that was in this book. See, personally, I just think they should have released the 750 page book. Who cares? You know, but that's just me. I'm also not a publisher. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe it's in his contract that he owes him a certain number of books. I don't know, but I still feel like, I don't know. I need to wait and see how much feels like could have been cut off of this book and battleground to make like one really tight 500, 600 page books. Maybe he's plotting this out and he's been saying for so long that it's going to be 20 books and then the three part, Mm. The, the three-part the trilogy, trilogy the, for the Armageddon thing. And so he's plotting this out and he's like, oh man, I only get to 19 here. What am I going to do? I'll just split this in half and get there. <laughs> yeah, but come on, it's Dresden. He could have just had another ghost stories type book that's just, you know, he goes on some adventure to a cool setting. Some side quest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's certainly written enough short stories that that is totally within the realm of possibility. Which another thing here is I've read some of Dresden short stories, but I feel like I I haven't read all of them. I feel like that was a handicap to me enjoying this book. And again, we'll talk more about that when we're going through the plot. I'm with you. I'm with you. I did not read the short stories. I intended to after I finished Skin Game. And then I, much to my happiness, I got got that arc like the day after I finished Skin Game. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not waiting now. I I was planning to do it in that week between (laughs) that and the release. So it it was kind of a... I think all I've read is Aftermath. Okay. I haven't read any of the other ones. Which is the one like right after Changes, right? Yeah. So basically, it said, told me, people told me, it's basically like the post credit scene of Changes. So I read that one and I was like, you know what? I don't feel like that added anything to where I can't just read all these when I'm done. But now that I read Peace Talks, like, oh, there's like three or four things in here I feel like are probably from short stories that I don't know about. Yeah. I at least went back and figured out what the things were that I needed to know because I have also failed in reading the short stories. Although I have, I think, side jobs sitting in my bookshelf that I, that I do need to read. Anyway, I went back and actually filled myself in on the information I need to know. So for the purpose of this podcast, it will seem as if I've read the short stories. At least I'm going to be a total short stories poser. <laughs> but if, if you're listening this far and just to like our non-spoiler section and you haven't read the book yet, go read the short stories before you go read the book. That's an easy mm. recommendation. I, I'd probably recommend it. Uh, it no, I won't even. I won't hang on. Just, I'll just say I recommend that you do that. Yeah. <laughs> non spoilers is hard. How do you guys do this? <laughs> yeah, this is about when we usually get into. This is about when we usually get into spoilers. So before we go to, uh, too far into the spoilers, Mike, I neglected to uh, give you a chance to to plug your channel. So let our uh, listeners know who you are and what you do and how they can find you. 
okay. Well, I run a channel on YouTube called Mike's Book Reviews. It's just on YouTube. I got out of the podcasting business about a year ago, finally. Uh, something I did for a long time. But what I wanted to do on this channel was I felt like we'd gotten to a place as a people where we were not allowed to have an opinion anymore. It felt like it was either agree with me or else. And if you don't agree with me, you're stupid. And you know, you're probably able to some insert label here. I wanted to make a channel where I gave my opinion and I encouraged you to talk to me about it. If you disagreed, that was okay. We're going to talk about it. You know what? And even if we disagree after that's done, we're still going to be pals after. So really it was just to, to kind of engage people. I don't know anyone in real life that reads the stuff that I read. Okay. No one I know reads high fantasy. No one reads science fiction. No one I know reads Stephen King. So I was like, I want to find people out there who read the stuff that I read so I can talk to them about it. So that's kind of why I really started the channel that and to get just like I said, engagement. I wanted to talk to people about these books and encourage them. If you disagree with me, that's great. I want to talk to you about it. Bring back discussion. That's kind of my goal with the channel. So uh, it's doing okay. The first year, I think we're rearing up on about 20,000 subscribers at this point. So it's uh, it's growing well, much more than I ever expected. Uh, I think when I got like 500 at this time last year, I was like, wow, this is way better than I ever expected. So it, it's doing great. It's still something that's a blast to me to do. Uh, and it is still just a hobby. It's not a job or anything. So I still am very much enjoying it. And uh, I get to meet new people like you guys. This is great. This is my second podcast I've been on today. And it's, it's awesome. I'm having a great time. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. Uh, Phantology is a bit newer than uh, Mike's book reviews, but I guess not by by too much. And if you like what we're doing, you can find us at Phantology Books on all the uh, associated channels and and uh, distributing platforms and all that. Um, but I think we are now ready to talk some some peace talks, what you came here for. So we're going to kind of do our typical thing. We'll talk through the plot points and and let Josh and Mike and myself give our reactions and, and some opinions and uh Feel free to drop us some comments on, on what you thought about it. Join our Discord and, and let us know because I think this one, it was a little bit divisive. Okay, so as this one begins, book 16, Harry is running on the beach with Thomas and they kind of do some expositionizing and then Thomas drops the truth bomb that Justine is pregnant and then Ramirez shows up, his, his warden buddy, and tells them that these peace talks are happening between the FOMOR and the Accorded Nations, and Marcon will be hosting them, and Harry is going to be kind of contracted to provide security here and make sure that these peace talks don't go south. And, and Ramirez is kind of in this weird condition, and we get a little more of this as we go on, and he doesn't necessarily trust Harry, and it's because in one of the short stories, Molly actually came on to him as the, as the winter lady, and beat him up pretty bad. And because of that, he really distrusts Harry because Harry is now, you know, the winter night. And so it's got kind of the same energy. And so, and so Ramirez, his former friend, is uncertain of how much he can really trust Harry. And this is going to be an issue with him in the White Council going forward. And then Harry goes back to, uh, to Molly's apartment, which is guarded by the Swartals. And he has some pancakes with Maggie and Bonea, who is the of intellect that they got out of his head finally in the previous book. So here's kind of how we begin the book. Um, what'd you guys think of some of these events? Well, first, first let's review who the Fulmar are because that was a little bit there. They've kind of been smaller characters, smaller players, I think in the Dresden verse, right? Yeah. So they showed up after changes and the big power vacuum that happened there. After the red court. Yeah. Yeah. After the red court got axed. And so they, they hopped in, 
they are traditionally, they kind of reside, uh, you know, under the water and they have surfaced through throughout all these different kind of areas that are near oceans and lakes. And so Chicago is obviously one of them. They're seizing power. They're at somewhat of a standoff with the, uh, with the forces of Chicago, which obviously is where uh, the Dresden verse kind of uh, takes place around. But we do know that this fight is a global fight that uh, all of our different nations are, are fighting against the FOMAR. So it's somewhat of a standoff right now, but they appear to have the upper hand maybe a little bit. I don't know. that They're still pretty murky. I didn't think that they, they were this much of a threat until uh, a, a little – I don't want to jump way ahead of you here, but until a certain entity shows up later in the book. But as far as right off the bat here, I'm like, okay, I missed something. Why is Ramirez not like, oh, usually before he's like, hey, yeah, the winter lady, we're like, whatever, you guys do whatever you're going to do. And now he's all like suspicious and – I knew something was up. Was he using a cane? Does this mention the beginning that he's using a cane? And I was like, well, what happened here? I, did I miss something? This isn't, I mean, this is like deadbeat. I think when he got like beat up pretty bad, I was like, how long has been since deadbeat now? Like eight years or something. So yeah, I knew something that, but I had forgot. I had missed something already. So I was already like, damn it. I should have read the short stories. <laughs> yeah. Very similar for me too. I, I was wondering if this was, okay, full disclosure. I, I hadn't read this short stories before reading this book. I'd read some, but not all of them. And so this was something where I was like, is this going to be a mystery that's like cleared up in this book? And no, it just turns out that there's a short story I should have read. There's one other bigger interaction with Ramirez later on where he's really heavily leaning on his cane. I don't remember if he, if he mentions that in this one as well, but I imagine if you, if you, if you have a cane in one scene, you probably do in another scene as well. And Harry asks him what happened and why any mentions being in a wheelchair as well. And I think he says something like, oh, I went up against, you know, something that uh, maybe I shouldn't have or, or something is a lot of my league, something to that effect. And, and he, he doesn't give Harry a straight answer, but he just kind of like glares at him a little bit. And that's your understanding that it was Molly. It wouldn't be that... a Dresden novel without some poor communication between our characters, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, no, I mean, no all doubt. these problems could be fixed if they just talk to each other. <laughs> uh, so much so, yes. But the Justine being pregnant thing, that, I heard some people say they gave him like like a changes type shock. And I was like, eh, not for me. Maybe I was just expecting the first paragraph to be something big at this point. That that does not seem like a changes level thing. That's no. like, a okay, Thomas is getting a little bit more character development. That's at least what I read it as. Which is something I wanted, yes. Yeah, right. So it's like, okay, great. Thomas actually has to care about something besides himself and Justine now. So speaking of character development, what do you guys think of uh, the interactions with Maggie when they're making pancakes. I thought this was some some really strong writing here. Oh, uh, well, as a dad of young children, I thought it was adorable. I don't have another word for it. Adorable flipping pancakes. Because I try to teach my kid to do that and it just it ends up on the ceiling, you know? So forget <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And especially recognizing that Maggie and Bonia are like half sisters kind of, because she's kind of Harry's kid, you know, in a sense with Lashiel. Yeah. Harry with the, the two kids from two different women. Yep. And so th that was fun. I loved it. And I want more of it, honestly. You know, this kind of makes Dresden very human in a way that earlier in the series, him driving around his little, you know, blue beetle and... And living in this hole-in-the-wall apartment yeah, and all that. Yeah. So it, it gives you as a reader something to relate to Harry with. Even if you don't have kids, you can still relate to seeing a father interact with his uh, daughters. And so I, I thought it was really a standout part of this book for me. 
So some more family stuff when Ebenezer shows up oh, here we and go. <laughs> drops him some info. So he tells him the council had, kind of has him on the outs, which is really not any new information. Harry has literally always been the black sheep of the family when it comes to the other wardens and wizards. And then they get into this big argument over his treatment of Maggie, not that he's a bad dad, but just the fact that she's living there with him. Ebenezer thinks is very irresponsible compared to the way that he himself raised, well, didn't raise Harry. I mean, he's his grandfather, but like gave him no communication or, or help as a kid because he wanted to distance to, uh, to keep him safe. And kind of the same little bit of a result of, you know, the way that it, things went down with Harry's mother as well. But this really kind of blows up into a big argument that uh, Maggie gets concerned about and Ebenezer runs off in a huff. And so this Ebenezer is, it seems like every Dresden book, there are a few characters who decide, are, who Butcher decides are going to be like the main sidekicks of the story. And Ebenezer is a big one in this one. I think uh, Lara Wraith is, is probably the other big one other than your typical like Harry Murphy Molly type characters Ebenezer bugged me in this book to be quite honest yeah a little bit yeah yeah so like this first conversation and I'm gonna be skipping around because we're in full spoilers now the first conversation I was like Harry dude just tell him just tell him that Thomas is his second Mm -hmm. grandkid you just need to he deserves to know that yeah, but but like Mike said, we can't communicate in Dresden. Right. Nah, instead, we wouldn't have a good book then. Yeah. Instead, <laughs> Harry waits until literally the worst possible moment to do that. You know, he just waits until like they're throwing down, about to kill each other, to like say, "Oh, and you have a grandson." It, it it bugged me. So it bugged me as well. But I do think there's like a reason for it. It makes sense. Harry doesn't want to give him this information, which is going to further drive a wedge between them he'd rather kind of just continue to get by and it's not until he's really really pressed to when it finally comes out so i understand why the bad communication happened but yeah you're right josh it it bugged me as well this is the second part where i'm wondering did i miss something because i was like ebony's always i wouldn't say he's been like calm cool and collected but he's never been like a little teenage hothead like i feel like he is in this but this dude is zero to pissed off and like two phrases in this book. And I'm like, <laughs> he's never, is, is, is it just me? I was like, I never got that vibe off of him. Other people told me, well, if you listen to the audio books, it's kind of always, well, I don't listen to the audio books, damn it. I read the page and I don't feel like I've ever gotten that kind of vibe off of him. He's like the type of guy that like, no matter what you say, all of a sudden he's flipping tables. That's what it felt like in this. But the whole time I was like, dude, like every time they were on page together, I was like, what, who's going to throw the first punch? That's how I felt the whole time. Who's going to throw the first punch? And this is another thing where I, I hope you guys might be able to clear this up. Part of me was justifying it by saying, like thinking that Ebenezer knew that his daughter had fallen in line with vampires. Does he blame her death on vampires? Like, does he know that much? I'm sure he blames Lord Wraith. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much he's the one that was involved, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. It just, I mean, I, I get it. I just, I don't feel like we've ever gotten this tidbit of information before. Oh yeah. He just freaking hates vampires to a point of just blindness. Yeah. It seems like that should have been something that came up before. Also, as soon as Harry knew, he's known him about him and Thomas for years now. Hmm. But now it's too much. I, I can assume it's because he's around Maggie. That's the only reason I can think that it really set him off this much because he was around Maggie too. Mm. But he also hasn't known Ebenezer's his blood grandfather until the end of Changes. Mm-hmm. And then there's been you know a lot that's happened in, in a kind of a short time since then. So I could see that relationship kind of still settling into that relationship a little bit. Okay, fair enough. It's, it still bothers me though. Like it seems like you should 
seems like Dresden should have come up with a better way to communicate that. I mean, it's something I get from Ebenezer's point of view. Like, if you look at it from Harry's point, how how Harry is with the ghouls, like no matter what, he's always just going to have that blind hatred for him. Ebenezer's the same way with the vampires. I just I just don't feel like it's been given that information's been given to us, and now it's just turned to you know eleven in this book. Not bad. It just to me it surprised me at how how just easily pissed off he was. Mike, by the way, since you mentioned Ebenezer and the audiobooks. He's got a nice Texan accent in the uh, in the audiobooks that might kind you know, of. I didn't know bit. Haas was a Southern thing when I was writing. We don't say Haas in Texas, so I don't know how <laughs> Southern that is. Apparently, I've learned it's like more of an Oklahoma and like Nebraska kind of thing. But I was like, I, people tell me that that's like full on Texan, but I've lived here for since 1993. I haven't ever heard anybody say Haas. <laughs> <laughs> Ebenezer has always felt like the old, like kind of depend- dependable, and I did feel like this was just a character change for him. Hmm. and it didn't really feel earned for me see and i was afraid to say that when i when i did the review because i was like what if I had the, what if like the the, the long time fans are gonna tell me i'm wrong and it's been like this the whole time and i just missed it but... and the thing is is that it would be one thing if this was just like a scene that happened and he could have handled it better but this is like essential to the entire plot of the book is ebenezer's like hatred of vampires and so i feel like butcher is good enough with his character work that he could have spent a little bit more time getting us like acclimated to the idea. I don't know if this scene was him trying to do that before we got to the big showdown, you know, on the lake. I don't know if this scene was like trying to prep us for that, but I feel like we needed more. I, I think it was a little bit. I would say there are at least three or four different conversations with Ebenezer, major ones, and every single one features him saying, Harry, you can't trust vampires. Harry, what are you doing? Yeah. All right. Enough ranting on Ebenezer. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that a little bit more later. I think I spoiled my uh, what thing I didn't like about this <laughs> a little early. So next big thing, another big character moment as Harry meets up with Murphy again. So Murphy's still pretty injured from the beating that Nicodemus gave her at the end of Skin Game, and but her and Harry have a really solid adult relationship now, where they seem they've always seemed pretty comfortable with each other, but. Um, now they're really kind of settling into some kind of uh, commitment. I guess uh, that level of commitment isn't doesn't come to a little bit later, which we'll talk about when we get there. But for now, they kind of talk, you know, recap a little bit where they're where they're at, and get a little sexual energy on. And but they get interrupted by Rudolph and Bradley, two of the uh, special investigations officers who come in. And they've got some dirt on both of them from the whole fallout at the end of the previous book. And they kind of issue some vague threats, but this really doesn't go anywhere in this book. So after I finish this book, looking back on the scene, I'm thinking like, why? Where are we going here? All I've got to say is that Rudolph and the conjuritis thing in this book, both of them better have a payoff in Battleground because I have no idea why they're in this book if they weren't because they weren't important. Dude, it was like, okay, here comes the biggest cock block ever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God, how many times are we going to stop these two? <laughs> and then they just go back to it after they find out that they could be in jail for the, like, I don't know, man. I don't think I kind can do that. Kind of a mood killer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a mood killer. They must have really been feeling it. I mean, what has it been since proving guilty when they first, like, talked about getting together? So, I mean, right. we've been talking, like, almost eight years here, and it's, and it's finally happening, and then it just gets blocked again. I was just like, Jesus Christ, Jim. <laughs> It's like, I thought Joss Whedon was like an emotional butcher. What are you doing, man? (laughs) 
That's true. I guess in in the cock blocks that have happened to Harry in the series, this might be like one yeah, of. At least the, he didn't get shot this yeah, time. Least, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but come on, Harry's sexual energy is literally never killed. He's always in totally ad- adrenaline rushing. Especially since he got the mantle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The winter mantle is another thing that kind of bugged me in this book. Like the number of times where we were t- we were told, "Oh, the mantle really tugged on me," and I felt this desire to either kill someone or uh, you know, unleash my unleash my sexual energies upon them, and then he's like, "Oh, but then I mastered myself and and put it away." But in the previous two books, it seemed like this was something that was really kind of fundamentally changing him, and we'd really have to watch for mm. him. And he wasn't able to control his abilities a hundred percent. But this time, I don't know if like enough time has passed where he's like figured something out. But it seemed like every time it was like in the back of his head, but at the same time. But ah, Winter Mantle was, was not doing it for me in this one. I was assuming it's supposed to be like, you know, when he was working on his parkour and all that stuff. It was like his Zen thing where he was figuring out how to control the Hulk inside. That's that's what I, 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 get, I guessed. It's not gone, but he can control it, not just be like a, you know, 15-year-old boy who's trying to bang everything he sees in sight or get in a fight with everyone he sees. To me, this book, it just felt like this was a way for for butcher to come up with as many ways to say like to describe being manly as possible like (laughs) run around banging my chest or run around like talking about every cool thing i've ever done like it just felt like it was a reason to like come up with a funny thing to say like over and over and over to be fair most of them are funny (laughs) yeah it it did add a lot of humor to the book though as well i mean that's one thing that i don't think he missed on it all in this one. It was it was funny as we come to expect with Dresden. Can, can we talk about the Murphy and Dresden like sealing the deal here? Um, am I the only one who wasn't sure if they did it or not? Yeah, yeah. It was like I was oh, like, look, me- in Skin Game, you give me like this fever dream sex scene that was like so hot I was like tugging on my collar here, and then when it actually happens, you leave it ambiguous if it actually even happened or not. If it wasn't for them getting the when Ramirez questioned him later on. I wouldn't even have known if they had actually done it or not. I thought that I had, I have an, an uncorrected proof is what my arc was called. So I thought maybe there's a scene missing or something, but no, everybody says, no, that, that was it. It was kind of like left up to your imagination. And I was like, wow, we've been waiting this many books. And then he just kind of figured it out guys. So I was, I was stunned by that. Especially because the whole like scene before that was them like getting 95% of the way there. Yeah. Like just <laughs> copy and paste that. Put and it was like there. basically get over it, get over here. And it's just like, okay did they or were they just you know being friendly again i i don't know i thought it was weird yeah you're right it's not until the scene with the wardens where they cast that spell and they realize that he's been with someone and then also when uh when lara touches him and and she Mm. gets the The magical energy against her burned as a vampire yeah my my guess is that maybe some beta readers or something pointed out that they didn't even know if they had done it or not so he added that random little spell with ramirez like oh has he been with anyone's night I guess he just didn't think he could top what he wrote in Skin Game because it was yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Because that's honestly kind of what it seemed like to me was that looking back on it, that they just need to clarify that, yeah, they actually had sex off screen. Hey, I'm glad. I'm glad they finally did it. Finally. <laughs> yeah. And in addition, like you, you see their emotional connection in a lot of other ways as well, especially la- later on. I'll just go ahead and say later, later on when they admit that they love each other out loud. And I think, Mike, you mentioned this, like just their silences, the way that they speak. Yeah, yeah. I think that Butcher's gotten better as a writer in the fact that like he can write a relationship in a way where you don't have to write that corny, cheesy dialogue, which we use in our real lives, but we wouldn't want to write it down on a piece of paper and let everybody read it. 
he's able to get across the things that they're saying to each other without saying anything at all. I thought it was beautiful. I thought that was gorgeous. Yeah, you know, for as much as I think in general fantasy books kind of struggle with believable romances, this has gotten to the point where I could see them like spending their life together and they respect each other enough to where they could make that relationship work like for the rest of their lives. I as think. long as they figure out her like mortality part that were, you know, her, yeah. her short lifespan part, that would be really, really great. That's true. It's like an Aragorn, uh, Arwen thing, Arwen. right? And I guess one other kind of thing there is uh, interesting that even though it seems like Dresden and Murphy have pretty much sealed the deal and they are a couple now, there are these still a lot of fans out there, fan theories that want Harry to be with other women as well. Like I don't get it. The Harry Molly people, I don't get it. You guys need to stop it. Stop it. You're gross. There's a lot of Harry Molly people. I think after this one, there's going to be a lot of Harry and Lara Wraith people. And that one like might be earned a little bit more after this one when Lara kind of seems to have a thing for him. Yeah, that's what Frey just keeps saying. Like she like 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 likes likes you, like really likes you. Yeah, yeah, we can kind of get into that as well too. Is there just gonna be like a swinger paradigm where like Lara is with Harry and then the Valkyrie lady is with I'm Murphy convinced then- that if it wasn't for feedback, Jim would go all in on that stuff. He I don't think he's ever said it. I don't know. I mean, you guys might have followed his career longer than me. But I think he gets bothered when people call Harry a misogynistic character. I think he's bothered by that. And I was always, when I was reading, I was like, I don't see why people say that. The dudes went like 10 years without getting laid. How is he a misogynist? Because he thinks beautiful women are beautiful. I think beautiful women are beautiful. I don't consider myself a misogynist. So I think it bothers Jim. And I think that's why he kind of writes Harry a little more where he thinks these things, but he doesn't actually do anything. If he didn't get that pushback, I think he'd make Harry like James Bond. And if it, if it had a pulse, he'd be like, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's just my opinion. And we're just getting Harry's like raw thoughts through a first-person narrative. So yeah. I think the, the things that end up on the page make a lot of sense. That's reserved, really, honestly, for what guys, what guys think. So honestly, so yeah, I'm with you. My, my take on this is if that bothers you, I understand why it bothers you. And Dresden Files isn't for you. And, and that's not, it's not bad. Exactly. Exactly. I read those one star good start one star good reads reviews, and I'm like, why are you reading book six if this bothers yeah, you? <laughs> exactly. Like, did somebody just read the first book and then go like rate all the other books one star? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it, it can be a legitimate concern for you, right? Like, I understand it. I obviously like Dresden Files, and I've read all the books, and it's not a deal breaker by any means for me. So, just don't read it if it if you if it's something you don't like. There's so many books and you'll never be able to read them all. I always say, don't read something you're not having a good time with. So speaking of Laura Wraith, she's in the backseat of the new, the new Blue Beetle, the Monster Mobile. And she's in the backseat with Mab, Queen of Air and Darkness, the, the Winter Queen, Queen, queen of uh, the Winter Fae. And they are just there to tell Harry that, uh, okay, Laura is owed these favors by Mab. And Harry, you have to help her pay up. And so this is going to be part of the plot going forward and the next thing that happens is the apartment molly's apartment is on fire and there's kind of this chaos panic that's going on and as harry investigates and tries to save maggie he's he's frantically looking for maggie who's in there right but he ends up realizing that itri the leader of the swartovs was almost assassinated so someone basically tore through the apartment trying to get to him and this mysterious person was thomas was in fact Thomas Wraith, his brother. Thomas is currently real bad, real bad shape. He's been beaten up. And it looks really bad for him because he has violated these accords, these peace talks that literally like every force has agreed to. 
And it's really strange why he's done this. We have no idea why. We are going to get a theory pretty quickly. But for now, this kind of looks like, okay, we're picking up the plot here, going back to maybe a, a mystery like we've had in previous Dresden Files. And the mystery is, what is Thomas doing? Maybe who put him up to it? Or what were his motivations? So what did you guys kind of think of this way to kind of really get the ball rolling? I just want to know what in the world Thomas was thinking. There had to be something that set him off. Like, it just doesn't seem like his style, right? I mean, he's had people like this before where he's always seemed to be pretty cool about it. But, I mean, unless someone – I don't think that anyone could just say, oh, well, I'll get Justine or something. That's obviously his weak spot. That would get him hot like that. But what did they do to get him to that level? You know, I, I just I just don't understand because the Svartovs seem to not be like that at all. They seem to be like, ah, oh, you silly humans and your, you know, sexual provocativity and all that or whatever. I forget the words that they actually use, but they just they, they find it funny how we are. Yeah, some, something had to really there had to be some serious freaking threats or someone else has got something on them and said, here, here's what we want you to do. You got to go try to assassinate this guy. That's all I can think. I have no idea. That's my biggest thing with this whole book. You know, and with the way it ends with Thomas basically being sidelined and sidelined and probably not going to be in Battleground, I realize I'm not getting this answer anytime soon. It's annoying because now I have to wait for these books like you guys (laughs) and I don't know what to do. I really hope we get the answer in Battleground. I mean, even if Thomas is sidelined through the entirety of the book, he may or may not be, but we could still maybe like discover a new player or someone who's been manipulating things. Maybe this is part of the Black Council thing that's going on and Harry finally figures something out. So he could trust something out of someone. Wasn't it uh, Goodman Gray who said that there was like numerous people watching watching Justine? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got to think that's connected somehow. Mm. So this is my biggest dislike of this book, this whole Thomas subplot. I felt like it was going to be really good when it happened. I was like, okay, great. We're going to get like a, a compelling story and mystery about Thomas and the wider uh, conversation of these peace talks going on. And so... Like during the setup, I was like, okay, great. This is wonderful. And then as the book kept going and they like didn't really do anything to investigate and they just had like a few scenes where they were setting up how to rescue Thomas, which we're going to go through. But it felt like almost just padding, which like the Dresden Palace doesn't need padding, you know, like go tell the story and like make it good or just move on. You know, this is where I felt like if they could just cut all of this out, like if the goal was to get Thomas injured and trapped on the island, then like you can do that all like back to back. You can have him get injured. Then Harry takes him to the island. You don't need 300 pages of them running around doing random things so that they could rescue Thomas. I also want to say as a binge reader, this actually kind of annoyed me because I love a jailbreak. I love a heist, things like that. But Skin Game just did that and it had a way better heist than this one. So I was like, yeah. Uh, it feels like you're following up a heist with one that's not really felt, felt like a sequel. It felt like a, a big budget movie sequel where it was like, ah, it wasn't as good as the original. You know, Cause I, that, I thought the heist in skin game was awesome. You this know? is like the oceans movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What did they even do to rescue Thomas? They like magically kind of manipulated them to get the location of the peace talks moved. And then they had like a hologram of Harry and Matt having sex. <laughs> and then they like, went through a tunnel and oh there's thomas and oh let's put him in the car and off you go like come on it wasn't compelling to me this didn't ruin the book for me but i just felt like if we're going to have this subplot have it be good and like maybe he's figuring out why thomas did it as well and we get that answer but just to spend so many pages on this thing that's not well done irked me 
Agreed. Harry and Lara, just to correct you there briefly, were the hologram. But oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, Harry and Lara. And, yeah, and yeah. it seems like there's so much room for a better plot here because we literally have like every single player from the previous book showing up here at these peace talks. There are so many simmering tensions. Yeah, I that had could no be, idea who that could be brought out was. here. <laughs> yeah, and, and people we don't even know yet are coming in. Like all of these guys have different beefs with each other. So many different ways this book could have gone and like Harry could have been investigating, sure. Thomas could have been, been involved, sure. But bring in these other people and make it exciting and, and fun and like really build the tension with everyone else. But it seems like everyone else is just kind of like standing back and watching as, as Harry does this minor thing. And then the big thing with the foam war happens at the end. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but dude, you're knocking Thomas out. Like he had like what, some potion that he drank that like made him. I think in, it's the one invisible. he used in full moon. I mean, like, I know that's probably a long time ago for you guys, but it wasn't yeah. that long ago for me. The one he used in full moon to be able to walk to the police station where they basically just, you're not interesting. So they don't even look at you. Right. But when you have like literal dragons in the room and like, right. <laughs> like, come on, come on. And like, I know that I did say like it had that throwy scene where he looked at him and well, Odin and the dragon, like they stared each other down. So yeah. It was, uh, was it Pharaoh yeah. Vax? Is that thing? Pharaoh Vax? Yeah. Pharaoh yeah. Vax. Uh-huh. It just seemed like you just like put the bare, like literally the bare minimum of work to like make this plot happen. See, now it's not, you're, now you guys are trying to make it sound like I hated the book. No, no. That's, <laughs> when you put these things feelings. under the magnifying glass, you nitpick them. But there are certain things that I've come to expect from this series. And I feel like I want to wait for that second half of the book before I judge it. But as, as a standalone, I, I'm feeling like mm, there's some things here that just don't feel like they add up the same way the Dresden Files book usually does. Okay, that's great. Because in my mind, I'm like, it's been five years since I've read a Dresden book. I've read a lot more fantasy in that five years. You know, I had like read fantasy before I read Dresden, mm-hmm. but like I've gotten way deeper into fantasy since I read Dresden. So I'm like, did I just build Dresden up as better than it was? And now that I've read all this other fantasy, it's disappointing to me because like I have higher standards now. With me is I talk about that my influence for liking the show is I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I loved Angel. I love Supernatural. And I love John Constantine Hillblazer. To me, that is the four things that make up the Dresden Files, right? And what this book to me kind of felt like is when you'd have a season of Supernatural where you're like, hey, it's like season 13 now or whatever, however many seasons are on the show. I'm like, that's the same plot line from season seven, but it's not as good. Again, I keep going back to saying a lot of stuff feels like it's what he just did, not only before, but in the previous book. And it was done better than that one. So that kind of had me being like, feels like sequelitis. Conjuritis, sequelitis. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that makes no sense. I, I agree with you guys. I think a lot of what you say is totally online. I think I was maybe a little higher in the regard of, I really liked a lot of the quieter character moments where we saw the progression of characters over the years, uh, especially when he goes back to the carpenters and he kind of like thinks back like, Oh, there's these empty rooms at their house. Now, now they're grandparents. He wrote Daniel off like real quick. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking Daniel was going to be end up getting the one who gets the sword. Now they're like, Nope, yeah. he's gone. <laughs> He's gone with his family, but that's fun to see. And that, I think that was what I really liked about it because it seemed like these are all real people and they've come quite a long ways. And so if you weren't in Dresden for those things, then you're really going to dislike this book because the, the action and the, the plotting, the kind of the breakneck speed wasn't there. It took at least two thirds to three fourths of the way through the book where it really picked up and you're kind of like blazing through the pages. I don't know if you have in your notes, but can we talk about Butters and Sonya and the sword training and all that stuff? Because I was really compelled about the whole, the sword not being able to actually 
harm anything except the monster. I thought that was a really neat little twist. Let's get there. Let's let's do a few more plot things. Okay, I didn't want to jump ahead of you. I thought we, we were talking about the ending almost there. Yeah, so I, yeah. I didn't know if it, you had skipped it. My fault. <laughs> I went on a I went on a rant. I I'm trying to rant. jump your notes. <laughs> we're all we're all too excited about this one. So going back to uh, where we left off on the actual plot. So Ebenezer and Harry have another one of their multiple arguments about oh, vampires. Yeah. And then they're interrupted by this outsider confrontation. So these type of mm. outsiders are called corner hounds. I thought these were a, a cool idea. They appear in any surface or, or location that has a bunch of right angles. So <laughs> Harry, Harry and Ebenezer like run down to this parking garage, right? Where there aren't a lot of right angles, kind of a bunch of curves. And they fight them for a while. These are outsiders, so they pack a lot of punch. And Ebenezer is throwing around some serious magic and showing why he deserves the title of the Black Staff. Um, Harry distracts them with this kind of messed up birthday present that he's got ready for Butters, which is like, <laughs> this, like super loud T-Rex singing happy birthday, but it's like at a decibel level that no one could really withstand without destroying your eardrums. And, and, and it doesn't help that they're in a parking garage, so it's like literally blasting everyone's eardrums apart. The corner hands are distracted by that, and they set up this ring of fire, and they are able to banish them. So I thought this was fun, and I was, I was really kind of skimming through pages here, not skimming through, but but really getting into the the meat of the action here. And uh, Butcher still does a great job of, of writing these scenes. Good, co- good uh, combination of humor and and nice action and, and magical uh, ingenuity. I love the idea about the, the the corners. I thought that was a really neat twist to him. He always seems to come up with something new that they can do. Yeah. I like that. I thought it was wonderful. The whole birthday song, singing happy birthday, <laughs> super high. I thought it was great. It shows you how Harry is kind of like losing his humanity a little bit to think that that's something that would be funny. <laughs> but like, it just fits uh, butter so much. That I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I was happy with it. I laughed out loud, I think, when I read it. And I love that scene. That's one of the my favorite scenes because it, it feels like it's driving the overall threat of the outsiders. You know, this is kind of like the White Walkers in Game of Thrones that they're just kind of this looming presence throughout the series. And it shows, yeah, these guys are, you know, they're going to put our, put our heroes up to the test whenever they're on screen. That's a really good comparison because I think we're getting close to the end game of the series now. We really need the outsiders to feel like a serious threat as we get up to Armageddon, and I feel like I feel like we're getting there. I mean, now that now we know that that's what the Winter Court is, is there for to defend the gates of reality against them, and we get some of that um, at the end when Map says they're they're really you know attacking the gates in force, and now that they're actually getting into Earth reality as well and Harry and Ebenezer having a tough time banishing them so yeah this is this is a fun moment and then this is also where the chondritis happens for the first time which Mike you already mentioned is like what the heck is this so hopefully we see this one I know it's going to have a purpose it's just since this isn't one full book it definitely felt like that didn't need to be there I'm sure it's going to make sense when we finish Battleground but for this I was like okay take I mean I thought the antihistamine thing was funny because I mean yeah doesn't not not make sense it's just i don't know that's part of the dresden charm right there this was something where i felt like he took cues from things like the wheel of time where they have the bubbles of evil pop up Mm. you know this is just kind of something fun that whenever there's a slow moment going on he can have chondritis and then like 
Have some chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Have some chaos. Yeah. Hey, we need some crazy spiders outside this dumb waiter. Yeah. Yeah. Why not just have some sneeze and there's some. Yeah. So, so that's fine. Like you said, Mike, the only thing that we have to combat this chondritis is cold medicine, which Butters prescribes. And then this kind of leads into the middle part of the book, which I'll call the part of the book that we've seen before in other books where Dresden assembles his team. So he goes around and he just like has these different conversations in different settings with different friends, frenemies, enemies, whoever that he wants to get on his side for this one. So he goes and he talks to Butters for a bit. He goes and he talks to Lara for a bit and they have this sparring match and, and she says that, you know, look, I really want to help Thomas. He's my brother, but my hands are tied here. And then he goes and talks to the younger wardens who are kind of his friends, but also don't trust him. And a lot of that is because of, I think, Ramirez's hesitancy towards him as the, you know, as the winter night. And finally, we get Molly on the scene. So Harry summons Molly. She's full on winter lady now. And they actually have to like strike this official bargain for her to help help Thomas. So Molly is still his ally very much, but she she is also bound to winter just as much as Harry is. And that's going to be important. And then the the final thing before the talks start is this really good moment where he goes back to Michael's. He goes back to the Carpenters. And I know, Mike, you're wanting to get to this lightsaber. Well, not really a lightsaber, but, you know. Not not a lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically what you can do without getting sued by Lucasfilm. What can we get yeah, away yeah. with here? That's what that was. <laughs> Just wait until Disney starts buying publishing companies and then we can start having <laughs> lifesavers and books. All right. So before the peace talks start, uh, what uh, kind of struck you guys here in these moments? Obviously the lightsaber. Well, I thought for sure uh, that he actually did cut butter, uh, cut Sonya's hand off here because I was like, well, that's the Star Wars thing. You got to cut off someone's hand, right? But it was an interesting little thing that I, I think is going to come into play obviously later because even I think even Michael brings it up yeah you can't hurt any monsters so what's just going to keep a monster from hiring some heavy to come and take you out so basically Butters has got to learn he can't just get by on just being you know swinging a lightsaber wildly he's gonna have to learn how to actually fight and this is so cool I, I feel like we're seeing like with Butters we're seeing a normal guy quote-unquote normal guy become a hero yeah and I really like what Butcher's doing with that because with Dresden Files, we jump in and Harry's already a hero. You know, he already has some wins under his belt. He's already kind of established himself. With Butters, we're taking this guy and we're throwing him into the paranormal. And then not only are we just throwing him, him in, but we're making him, you know, a heavyweight in the in the world. So I, I think it's really cool what Butcher's doing with Butters here. I, I hate to keep making these comparisons, but I'm going to keep doing it because I love it. Something that Joss Whedon always did with Buffy and Angel is he would take a character that would be considered like a wimp at the beginning, and by the end of the show, they were like a badass. And Wesley on Buffy and an Angel was a complete ponce, just a complete wimp. And then by the end of that series, he was freaking James Bond. So I, I think it's going to be – it's been that kind of development for Butters. You think back to where he was before Polka Will Never Die and where he's at now. It's like two different characters. He's taken enough time to develop this character that it's believable. You know, It's been like, what, seven, eight years that he's been doing this. So I'm, I'm on board for it. I love it. I Podcast I was on this morning, they weren't so crazy. They aren't so crazy about butters. I'm like, well, I still like butters and I still love Harry and Karen. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I love butters. I also love how butters is just like in a little, you know, non monogamous, monogamous that relationship. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, but that's something else that goes to show like, okay, here's this guy who starts off as being just a normal guy, but he's developing into this guy that's like so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And not that like, 
I think everybody should be in a non-monogamous relationship or anything like that, but it just shows <laughs> that he's comfortable enough in himself to like do what he wants with whom he wants. <laughs> I, I thought it was cool. It was a nice little awkward moment, but fun character development for him. I think he was like, okay, well, I've got an agnostic uh, Night of the Cross. How do I up that on another Night of the Cross? <laughs> 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 Yeah, well, it was it was fun for me. I mean, it was one of those times I'm like, oh, okay, all right, Butters, you got it. Mm. And I guess speaking of Knights in the Cross, we're still looking for one more. Number three, yeah. Like, I, I think I've got to finally let go of my Murphy one, unless she's going to use the sword as a cane. It's probably not going to happen, but I've been championing Murphy for that sword for a while now. I, it's been hinted at for long enough. My she, next theory was it was it. going to be Daniel, the way they were setting that up. You know, obviously descended of Michael, descended of Charlemagne, anything like that. So I thought that that's where he headed. But like I said, he, he wrote that out in one sentence in this book. So that ain't happening. So I have no idea who's getting that sword. And I don't think we're going to find out. I don't think we're going to find out until that trilogy. Yeah, it seems like it could be a big moment at, at the end. Maybe maybe a twist we're looking forward to at the end. If it ends up being Harry, I'm going to barf. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Harry's already OP, man. He, he doesn't yeah. seem OP, but like literally there's nothing he can't get himself out of, it mm. seems like, in these books. Yeah, even death. After he gets knocked out a couple of times, he'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so the peace talks start. They're taking place at the brighter future society headquarters this is headquarters of the united group of chicago resistance fighters and this is at this uh harry describes it as a castle it's really just marcone's new house hq that is built on top of harry's old house and i thought this was kind of one of the stronger parts of the book with these moments where harry was reflecting on how he just wanted to go home and he couldn't go home anymore because Obviously, his house is burned down and he's got like nothing familiar to go back to. And then towards the end, when he busts Thomas out and he's in his sub basement where he spent so much time, that was kind of poignant for me. So um, I really like that part. And so as Harry sees the castle, he reflects upon this. And then the talks start. And first thing happens, we figure out where everyone is is uh, seated. We kind of like get an overview of the room, who's there, how have they changed in the past few years. I was a little disappointed in kind of missing action between some of them. By the time you get to the end of the book, I, I was hoping for a little more. Um, people like the archive, for example, like we just saw her, but no interaction there. Mm, little, maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity. Of course, she has hips now. <laughs> she's old, of course. She's old. I was, I was like, wow, well, well, he just he just could not wait till she got old enough for him to write that. <laughs> I will say that's one time. This is, these are times when I'm like, okay, Butcher, like, okay, we get it. Can't help yourself. Yeah. So Lara meets with Etri and, or Etri, and gets a, not a bargain, but she at least gets Thomas to be moved to Marcone's castle out of the in, impregnable Swartov place. So now we think we have, an, we have a way to get Thomas out because we can, get through the security of Marcone's castle, which really doesn't quite make sense. Like, I don't see Marcone being lax on security, so it feels like really, a bit of a once, one security guard. One security guard. And this this guy flew over brick by brick a castle from, what country? Europe, somewhere in Europe, so that it could keep its enchantments up. Like, you'd think he's just going to let, oh, here's a flume that goes down to my secret dungeon. Yeah. Like, come on, <laughs> give me a break. Seems it strange. It seem a little simple, yeah. But anyway, that's how okay, the right. when we talked we talked about not liking the Ocean's sequel plot, the the, the heist plot here. Yeah, definitely Ocean's twelve and skin game is Ocean's eleven. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
So Harry also talks with River Shoulders, who is a Sasquatch. Which I knew I'd missed something when this guy came up. Way too much backstory for this not to have been something. It that seems important right away. Before. There are actually three short stories that establish him. I haven't read any of them, but I did read a summary of them. So I at least know kind of what happens in them. And the strongest comparison I have with River Shoulders to another fantasy character, I'm going to say Loyal from Wheel of Time. You know, like this giant wise guy that's... Writing a book. <laughs> yeah, writing a book, wears glasses in order to, uh, to to not look too intimidating to humans. Maybe maybe like talks a little bit slow. I don't know. He just kind of seems like a Loyal to me. You're picturing Loyal. And you're now writing. I'm not yeah. going to not see Loyal next time I think about this character. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've ruined River's shoulders for sure. You can also just picture a Sasquatch because that's literally what he is. Yeah, but when you do that, all I see is Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, and I just can't stop laughing. So I just try not to do that. What I did like, and I don't know if this was explored more in the shorter stories, but I did kind of like getting a glimpse into the three different kinds of Sasquatch, like the ones that try and kind of assimilate into human society. And then the ones that just try and stay hidden, which is like 90% of them. And then the ones that like want to, you know, annihilate humanity. I, I think like that's the a cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Janoska. I, th- I thought that was a cool, you know, little side politic scheme that Butcher came up with. Were you guys upset that there wasn't more actual like peace talks in a book called Peace Talks? I mean, were you guys kind of disappointed? I guess there was one point where I felt like, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. I was like, you are going to have peace talks in your peace talks book. <laughs> I mean, we know that Harry's not a political guy. I mean, I, I know that, but I think outside of Marcone throwing down the gauntlet and telling everybody, yo, you're part of these accords. You walk out that door, you're a coward. I think other than him acting like a big boss there in that moment, I didn't see any like politicking in this, in this, in this book at all. It got close. We got to the point where we were supposed to have them, but we immediately didn't. That was the extent of the talks. I know I was ready. I was like, okay, I'm going to go into this book. I'm going to have like, you know, all these wikis on hand. I'm going to, cause I know I'm going to be lost in you know, some of the smaller minutia of what's being discussed. And then quickly I realized I'm like looking at how much more of the book I've left. I'm like, we're not getting these stocks in here. Yeah. I was at like 88%. I was like, Hmm, it isn't going the way I thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like my overall thing, and this is just, it's still jumping ahead. I'm just like, why couldn't we have just cut out the fat with Thomas's storyline with this high storyline and have actual peace talks in here because that to me that will have justified the two book arc is mm. like one book going through all these peace negotiations and really firming up alliances and then having it fall apart and now well now all these alliances are together they've established this this greater you know uh alliance and now we're ready to take on these big yeah. bad guys so but make it a political intrigue book we, we haven't really had i mean we do get some politics always between different courts but like politics between all of supernatural i guess you would say yeah i was expecting like a jack ryan book with this or something you know his take on like a jack ryan book with humor with humor of course i again i'm not one who needs everything broken down like that i was just rather surprised i thought it was this was going to be the actual like negotiation and then i assumed the next book's called battleground being oh well guess the peace talks didn't go so well that was kind of how i thought it was going to go but i think that was just too on the nose well, so I think we're supposed to move on from here with all of the characters and all of these different players in the Dresden verse, like all being allied now. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. And we're supposed to buy it because they had these peace talks. Yeah, I, it definitely feels like it's supposed to be that unifying us versus them kind of moment. Yeah, we yeah. got to, you know, unite or die kind of thing. So I think the issue with that, and I guess we're further jumping ahead, but 
Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any holding us back at this point. But I, I think the issue with that is the force that they're supposed to be allied against doesn't really seem earned. Like this, this goddess, Titan, comes in, right? Um, Ethnu. And this is now the big enemy, and the FOMOR have like enlisted forces, maybe they've, they've crossed a line here. And now they're going to mess with the mortals too much. And so everyone else that was previously squabbling is going to get together to fight against them. And I guess that's what you're saying. You guys are worried about that's going to happen. It's not going to feel right. And I think the problem is that they just kind of like threw in this Titan goddess and out of, out of nowhere. It's like, who is this person? And this is now going to be the big bad. Is that what we're thinking? Like, it's gotta be, if you can, if you can flick mad through like three walls like that, then yeah, I, I, I think so. It's right. And, and what happened to the black council thing? Because that was what really caught my attention quite a bit over previous books. Like I want to know about the, about the black council. Cause that, Seems really intriguing. I like the idea of a traitor and everyone. And who the hell is and... Cowell? <laughs> yeah, it's still a thing. We have no idea. Okay, if these answers come in in Battleground, then then we'll all look back on this book and like like it more. I think. But yeah, exactly. I just feel like we needed more motivation to really care about this new big threat. Well, I think them whole at the outer at the, at the outer walls is that what they're called? Then the yeah. whole like that whole thing yeah. is supposed to be like, look, whatever our problems are. We need to take care of that because if that goes wrong, we're all screwed. I think that's what we're supposed to take it as. Yeah, and and there was that throwaway line like, "Oh, the outer walls have been under attack as of the last hour," and so like here's like, "Well, they're working together," but that doesn't seem like it's really how you should write conflict. You know, like these two huge powerful forces are now allied against everyone else in the space of ten pages. Yeah, so I guess we hope that that really figures itself out in Battleground and makes sense and, and seems a little more earned than it did towards the end of this one, at least. Should we talk about the whole Starborn thing? Because we finally got some answers for that in this book. I liked that. That's been kind of a, a lurking mystery for a while. Maybe you guys can explain it to me because I'm not going to lie and say like I completely understood what was going on here with the whole Starborn thing. The problem with binge reading these and not having the break is I didn't have all the time to theorize you know, and think about all the speculation and crazy theories like I've done with Song of Ice and Fire since the year 2001, bastard. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, these are some of the things I wasn't even thinking about, like, like Starborn. And I do feel like the Starborn thing in this is like, it does feel like it's like two sentences and then it's never, never touched on again, right? He just kind of like mentions it. Ebenezer just kind of mentions it to Adam. Yeah, he mentions it after they fight the Corner Hounds. I think it comes up one more time. Towards the end, he, he's talking with someone about this. Ah, I don't remember who it is. But what offhand. exactly does this does this mean? I mean, I, it, it also, I've heard people saying that Elaine must also be starborn too. And I'm like, why? Yeah, what am I missing? I think she has to be, right? Because weren't they born at the same time? Or, okay, I might be, I might butcher this as well. Because honestly, I haven't thought about this a ton going into it. So if we're making mistakes, let us know on, on Discord or, or drop us a comment or whatever. But I, from my reading of the book, my understanding is if you're Starborn, you have some power over Outsiders, over outsiders which Harry yeah, has okay. in this book, and he has had in with He Who Walks Behind in previous books. And what it just means that like you're born every 666 years leading up to a big apocalyptical event. And so that is coming. We know that's coming. So Harry's role as a Starborn is going to be crucial in fighting against the outsiders at the time. 
I don't really know. Seems kind of like this prophesied hero type of thing is coming up. Okay, because I thought, I was like, man, I totally missed something here because I, is, has it been said that him and Elaine were born at the same same birthday? Did they have the same birthday? Has it said that before? We might have to wiki that, but I know I've heard that Elaine is also, must be a Starborn, so I feel like that's confirmed, but I can't give you I a I just reference. figured this was just for me reading too fast because I was like, I, I feel like I missed something there. And then the fact that we do get that answer, and like I said, it's like two senses, and then we don't hear about it again. Yeah. Isn't that kind of a big deal? <laughs> okay, yeah. Here, okay, rant, another rant time for me. One, I, I've always liked the idea of Harry not just being a chosen one, like that, okay, here's this hero, like he's coming up and he's, he's being earned, like he's earning all of this, right? Himself through hard work and, you know, kind of slugging it out on the streets of Chicago. That always appealed to me. Now, I'm fine with cho- chosen one tropes and I think that Butcher can do it well. So that that kind of bugged me, but I'm I'm also kind of okay with it. But then throwing in the fact that now he can just kind of do whatever he wants with these powers. He can just have it be so that he can just banish outsiders and that he can put his will against them and that he can like just get this whole new power set that we've never seen before. That bugs me. He wasn't OP Additionally, <laughs> Yeah. Additionally, additionally, it also bugs me that the entire White Council knew about this, knows about this, right? They all know Dresden's birthday. Right, you can assume that if he's this big prophesied hero, that they know about it. Right, they're not stupid. So why the heck did they, if they knew that he was their literal save, like only way to be saved, why did they put him under the doom of Dauntless? Like, why were they almost to execute him? Why are they kicking him out of the White Council? This should be like kind of a grand situation where, like, they know that he's kind of dangerous, but they're keeping him close because they want to be able to like control him. You know, just big overview of that. Like, they should be politicking to make sure that he does what he needs to do not like constantly trying to kick him mm-hmm. out of the white council maybe it's like the severus snape thing and he they, they actually loved him the entire time <laughs> just why, like this this does this doesn't make sense to me with the white council why are they going to execute harry if he's the only one that can like prevent the outsiders from coming in Okay, I looked up a word of Jim. He says, Harry and Elaine are just a few months apart in age-wise, so for all intents and purposes, the same age. This is one of the reasons that Justin had handpicked both of them to adopt. It wasn't just random kids with power. This was Jim Butcher on her having the, the potential to will power over outsiders. So I think that, that makes a lot more sense now that I've read that. I never read these word of Jim things while I was reading because I didn't want spoilers. So now I can yeah. read all these things. I'm excited. <laughs> I, lo- I love words of Jim, kind of like uh, words of Brandon. For, uh, for big Cosmic yeah. fans out there. But why isn't Elaine more of a character then? If we're thinking that she's almost certainly a, a star when she's only in two, three books? I said that in my Peace Talks wish list. is like, 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 I hope I'm not going to get massacred for this. But I was like, I'm indifferent on Elaine. I've never cared. I, it's not that I dislike her. I just don't have any opinion at all because I feel like it's when you uh, you have a, a buddy that you made in in high school and you said you got to be really good friends and he talks about this girl that he dated before you even knew each other and it's like i mean you care because that's your friend he cared about this person but other than that what do you really know about him you know you don't really have any feelings for that person so that's kind of how i felt about elaine the whole time it feels like butcher's telling me i'm supposed to care about this person i'm like i just kind of don't and when she shows up what what like once every five books and it's just like oh hey you're her again yeah yeah it, it does seem like an, an unnecessary character honestly unless he's planning on having her come in and be the second 
you know, key to defeating the outsiders is Harry has to get her. I don't think he'd have her keep coming up if she was just kind of going to be a throwaway character. So he doesn't seem like he does anything just for the heck of it. That's why I'm saying, okay, give the conjuritis thing a break. It's going to make sense. If Justin, and I'm sure that there's theories abounding in this, but maybe Justin was the one that was actually trying to defeat the outsiders. And that's why he was like trying to break them, free, like teach them dark magic, which he was, was really magic. Actually could... a good guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe, or maybe the outsiders were on, you know, maybe Justin was on the outsider side and Andy Lane is going to be like the, the ace that the outsiders have up their sleeve to be able to, you know, to take on Justin. Yeah, it's been hinted at for a while that someone's going to betray Dresden. Could be Elaine. Even in this book, I have a, I have a note down saying like it was very ominous when when Ebenezer was like, looks like they're going to do the do it the old fashioned way and have someone mm-hmm. you know stab you in the back. Mm-hmm. You know that's foreshadowing. Like someone's going to stab Dresden. Oh, yeah. you want to talk about foreshadowing? Wait till we get to Demon Reach and what the conversation that him and Murphy has. All right. Yeah, Just, I want I want you to remind me about that when we get there. <laughs> Let's see, we, we left off at the peace talks, but we kind of talked through this. Uh, Harry and Murphy have the good conversation where, where they say that they love each other. We talked about their relationship. We, we talked through the, the poor heist, the, well, the, the heist light version, we'll say. We talked Ethnu coming in with the FOMOR. And so the peace talks have fallen apart. Ethnu blasts off this EMP. She kicks Mab through like three walls. She's super OP. Everyone's afraid of her. This seems like the most serious threat we've seen to date because we have a gathering of like, I mean, it includes Odin, a literal god who's there. So there's some really heavy hitters here, but everyone's afraid of Ethnu in this, this magical eye that she has. Marcone is able to hold them together after this all falls apart. And then the outer gates are under attack. So I'm just kind of blazing through events here. But then finally, uh, to catch us up, Harry meets up with Murphy and Lara and Freitas and Thomas at the Water Beetle, and they're going to take off towards Demon Reach, but Ebenezer comes in before they can take off, and they get into a little wizard duel, and Ebenezer takes him down, and it seems like he kills him. Like, he sends a rock or a comet through his chest or something, Harry's bleeding out. Ebenezer loses his cool because Harry's admitted to him that Thomas is his brother, and we know right away, well, we know pretty quickly that he doesn't really kill him because turns out that Harry was projecting using this ring that he's got. But this fight, I mean, it's been led, it's been foreshadowed quite a bit throughout the book. What'd you guys think of this one? The fight was really cool. I hated seeing him fight, honestly. But if, if either of you guys are big fans of the Disney Star Wars sequels, I apologize. This, this feels like The Last Jedi done right with the projecting thing. I, at least that part, I'll say the, the positive there. Jim obviously is still writing action at the top of the game. I don't see it. Maybe Sanderson might be the only other one in the genre who can write it as good as he can, I think. Yeah, I just I hate I hated seeing the two of them fight and seeing how far Ebenezer was willing to go really was heartbreaking, not just for Harry, but for the reader too. Yeah, this was it felt earned within this book. I don't know within the series, but within this book, this fight felt earned to me. Like seeing the tensions just rising and rising and rising. I liked it. I thought, again, yeah, like you said, Mike. The action is top notch. You can yeah, really visualize. All my visualize. The book, it's not with the writing in the action at all. No way. I, I love how you just see him, you know, floating above the lake on this like huge boulder. Like you get these scenes in your head that are just so epic. And I know I've gone on rants in this video, but like I like this book. Okay, so like because of scenes like this, where you just it's wish fulfillment. You know, you're just like yeah, just finally you're just like letting me see these two awesome wizards that like have a lot of power duke it out. 
that's what I'm here for. Yeah. At the end of the day. I would say every Dresden book for me, I can think back to the book and I have like one or two visuals that come to mind like, oh, that was the T-Rex one or, mm. you know, oh, that was the, that was the heist one or, oh, that's the one with the, you know, they, they fight in Chichen Itza, et cetera. And this moment and probably the parking garage moment were the two that stood out to me, maybe a little bit with Demon Reach when he's fighting with Lara and Freitas. Yeah, but all the Demon Reach scenes just kind of blend together in my mind. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, now Harry's at this dark, dreary island. Well, I really like how he control the islands and make the trees move around and stuff and fight for him. Made me think of the Ents. Yeah. I always yeah, like yeah. Tolkien, sorry. <laughs> but so does Butcher. <laughs> so, so they head off to Demon Reach. Harry recovers and Ebenezer, you know, kind of stays there to deal with maybe whatever emotions are, are sweeping over him at the time. Murphy makes Harry promise to talk to Ebenezer once emotions have cooled a bit. He does agree to do that. So I'm guessing we'll have some kind of conversation in Battleground. Hopefully they can work something out. I mean, we want these guys to get on the same side and communicate effectively. We haven't seen it ever. I ever. want to think they could, but, but who knows with this new, this new page that Ebenezer's turned over where he's just pissed at the world. I'm not so sure. So here he goes and he imprisons Thomas in Demon Reach. This, I guess, has been his contingency plan all along. It's a bad deal for Thomas because he has to feel the pains that he's inflicted on others in etern- for eternity for as long as he's there and harry isn't exactly sure if he's gonna be able to get him out or if he is how he's going to be able to cure his uh issue going on here so um it's a bad situation but it's like the only thing that he can do i guess so i think i read that differently than you Stephen. i think that he had to feel all the things that he's inflicted upon others like when he got in there and then while he's in there he's just like in stasis in stasis like i don't think okay. he's continually feeling that i could have read that wrong well, I hope that's the case. Maybe I'll go go back and check that. Either way, still has like kind of this atonement type setting where he has to like experience all of this. Yeah. I think that's going to be really, it, it must be so interesting for Thomas to feel this because it's in his nature. He has to do it to survive, to like put other people through, mm-hmm. you know, pain. And so I really like how Dresden or how Butcher makes you like demonsterizes monsters. It's like these are mm-hmm. predators that like need to live. And also monsterizes regular people. Like Marcone is just as much as a monster as anyone else, but he's just a regular dude with no powers. Yeah. Dude, he's a, he was a boss in this book. I don't even care what anybody says. It dude was just he getting up in ghouls' faces and being like, you a pussy if you leave. And I was like, dude, Marcone is such, he's got the biggest balls in the room. <laughs> uh, I've always loved Marcone, so yeah. No, I, and, and don't get me wrong, I love Marcone as well, but I don't think there's any, any, any fighting against the fact that he himself is, is a monster and a mobster and oh sure definitely he's kingpin he's yeah. definitely kingpin yeah yeah the only mortal ever to ever uh, sign the accords so thomas is imprisoned lara freaks out because she's seen this happen uh, she charges against harry they have kind of this this quick uh, fight harry takes down her and freitas uh, murphy kind of helps with the nice moment where she just pulls a grenade pin they pulls a grenade out of her pocket <laughs> heck yes i'm always packing a grenade when i go out on a boat why not dude that was so awesome steven can i just step back to one thing you said okay so another thing that kind of bugged me about this was the accords in general like in my mind they've always been like here's the these eternal accords i guess you could say like they've always been around and i know that's obviously wrong and was wrong in my head canon but like it felt like these accords were just kind of untouchable and like they kind of govern like are the underlying magical rules for the dresden verse 
But I think that was just wrong in my head canon. But that's just kind of how they've been portrayed to me throughout the series. Whereas in this book, they just felt like, oh yeah, they've been the chords that have been around for the last, you know, X amount of years, but they're not. They really kind of say like, yeah, we, we signed the accords, but the accords are really Mab. And so we just saw Mab got destroyed. So we don't need to follow the accords anymore. Yeah, we only, right. signed, we only signed the accords because we were scared of Mab. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like yeah. realistic, but I don't feel like that's been how the accords have been treated up until now. Yeah, anyway, super cool scene at, at Demon Reach. That was some awesome action. Again, just more climactic scenes with Harry being, again, OP, but now he's really in his in his prime. On the, I think Harry um, does make one big tactical mistake in this fight. So he grabs Freitas, the Valkyrie, and throws her off of the island, but the island is where he has the power. He throws the enemy towards Murphy, who is you know, not nearly at 100%. So like he's endangering Murphy. Why doesn't he just hold Freitas in the same way that he's holding Lara? I... Yeah, why doesn't he just hold her in the tree that is throwing her? Yeah. Dang it, well, Steven, I talked about is... the foreshadowing with Murphy where she makes him promise none of that macho bullshit where you make me stay on the island and you go fight anything. And he's like, I agreed, even though I knew it could end up being her death. I'm like, hmm, foreshadowing much? So yeah, I think I know what's happening in Battleground. Yeah, it would really be heartbreaking if, if Murphy was to die. I think it's the Joss Whedon way. You get these kids together, then one of them either dies or turns evil. It's got to happen. One, one gotta, She's got to die or turn evil, one or the other. I mean, he already sacrificed Susan. I, I mean, they weren't as close as him and Murphy, but that would be That rough. means it'll hurt more. <laughs> I mean, Jim doesn't not seem like the type of guy who would get power off of our tears, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> So I oh, just felt, felt like super foreshadowing to be that conversation right there. So to get ready for Battleground, Harry takes a couple magical items from yes. Alfred. I, I love how he calls Alfred. The, <laughs> Alfred's like the demon. I thought that that was just going to be like a one-off thing. I didn't know that was like permanently it now. So that's great. I feel like this is to the roots of Dresden where he's just like being so immature with these like eternal beings that like are so much more powerful than him that he just gives them like a nickname just to be a prick you know he's just like yeah you're, you're alfred yeah and and in this case alfred brings him a couple items that he got from the hades vault in skin games so he's got this emathene i might have said that wrong close enough and this is like this magic ritual knife that will hopefully imprison ethnu i don't think it's any secret that this is harry's initial plan if this is his initial plan we know it's not going to go right in battleground but this is what he's going to start with we can assume and he's got this placard, which we don't know much about. Harry seems to know something. So we're going to see these items for sure in Battleground. That's kind of where we start. And then they hop on the boat. They take off back towards Chicago, where I'm guessing stuff is about to go down. And we will meet back in 77 days. Or a little bit sooner for Mike, because I assume you're getting your advanced reading copy. My, uh, yeah, <laughs> I did go get for the notice that I will be getting it. I don't know when, but the publisher <laughs> did say they were happy with my review. So I... I guess I'm approved now. They'll send it to me. The whole thing, I did my whole vacation, uh, not vacation, but my Sunday Bible school thing when I read Skin Game about what these five holy artifacts were. Now, the placard, I believe, is the sign that they hung on the crucifixion of uh, the oh. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. As far as what its power is, I have no idea. Uh, the dagger, I believe, is the leftovers of the Holy Lance, which is the spear that stabbed Jesus in the side, and which makes him like always victorious. Because if you read Skin Game, you'll notice... Once he takes that knife, all of a sudden he starts winning every fight that he's in. And before that, he was getting his ass kicked nonstop. Mm. I, I think I know what the power of that is. It will make him... This is the Elder Wand? Be more OP, yeah. But yeah. as far as the placard, 
I have no idea what that can do. Maybe that's what they plan to write the new accords on. I have no idea. I have no idea what they're going to do with that and why he, he seems to know enough about what it's going to do that he remember to take it. I have no idea there. Hmm. Ooh. Okay. All right. Theory. This is just off the top of my head, but maybe that's like, like a death curse on steroids. Like maybe that's his fallback plan. It might symbolize Christ dying on the cross. Right. And so like, maybe it can be like, take a sacrifice and like have whatever, the person will when they sacrifice like make that happen mm. no matter what okay mm. that's good yeah he hasn't talked about the day you know it seemed like for like three or four books in a row he was talking about that death curse and then after changes he just kind of went away he hasn't really talked about it very much anymore. harry hasn't talked about it very much maybe anymore. he doesn't have well he talked about it in this book did he okay he mentioned it he said well he was just talking about how if somebody needed to take a shot at a wizard then they would need to do it all in one mm. go I feel like when Jim keeps it fresh, it's going to be coming back up again soon. That's probably, it seems like that's his plan B where he has that to fall back on if he needs it. So that's, that's the book. <laughs> and then the book just ends. It's like, wow, uh, it, maybe do I not have any more pages? Why is this not turning anymore? Cause the art, <laughs> it just ends on that last page. There is no other pages. It was the digital version. It just ends there. You know, usually you have your, Hey, check out these other Dresden books or, or author's note or something at the end of all those books nothing so i'm like like trying to turn i'm like that is that is that really where it ended so i was like worried when i did the review was like hey you didn't get the last chapter (laughs) i know i've gone on several rants in this podcast episode but i will say the positive thing about this book is that it felt like stepping back into the dresden burst after i've been away from it for too long i'm like Mm. finally i'm back in it i'm i'm liking it it felt like putting on like an old pair of jeans that like I'm used to and I like and I enjoy and nothing about this book ruined it to the fact where it's like I didn't enjoy it and it wasn't a good Dresden book you know there are things that I'm being picky on because I'm like why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that but I enjoyed this book and enjoyed reading it I'm with you a lot of people on the not a lot of people but a handful of the the, the more longtime readers in the discord are like oh I like this one less than full moon I'm like ah, I think you guys are overreacting <laughs> just a tad here uh, I was like I liked it more than like white knight but, but um, for me, I, I, I just I have to wait until I read the second half of the story. And then my rating could go up or down depending on how that book sticks the landing, which I still am confident he's going to do. Mm-hmm. It just, like you said, Josh, at the end, it might feel like you still could have just released this as like a 600-page single book and just got that stuff down, which, again, might be the publisher's fault. I don't know. I can't wait to hear this story from Jim when he goes and writes his memoirs here after he's done. Or just shows up at Comic-Con talking yeah. about it. <laughs> I can actually watch these things now. You know, I haven't watched any of his cons or his, his, his discussions with the, that, that guy that doesn't write with his name, Rothbus. And I haven't watched any of that stuff <laughs> because I was afraid of spoilers. But now I feel like, okay. The, the Twitch, this big Twitch streamer that's on. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I finished Wheel of Time and I said, hey, I can watch all the spoiler shit now and not worry about being spoiled. So I'm, I'm excited. It's like a whole new wealth of information for me and i have to take a shot at rothbus any chance i get sorry guys recording videos in front of cheerios boxes complaining that people are asking them about where the book is it's like well it's been like 11 years it's not like it's been like a month i mean chill he's acting like he just handed you book two and you asked him where book three was I mean, yeah, on, like, oh. be realistic here We've, we've had so many, we've had this exact same conversation in our group so many times. I love that you're on the same page as us. Well, the thing is, it's like, I'm not even a big King Killer fan. I read Name of the Wind. I thought it was fine. I didn't get out of it what everybody else did, but then everybody told me, well, book two actually isn't as good. And I'm like, well, if it isn't as good, I think I'm going to go ahead and tap out. So I haven't been suffering 
But I just, I hate the way that he snaps at his fans. I hate that. So George R. R. Martin gets shit all the time and he never gets nasty with his fans over it. So, Mike, do you remember how uh, when we were talking beforehand, I told you that Stephen got me to read Dresden and promised me a book every year? And then he also <laughs> got me to read Name of the Rent when, oh. right before Doors of Stones comes, comes out. And then he also gets me to read Gentleman Bastards. Oh. And so, like, seriously, like, <laughs> I blame Moral I blame of the Steven story, for... do not follow through on my book recommendations <laughs> well, if you want to read more. Thing is... No, do, but just... <laughs> If it's yeah. Sanderson, I'll do it. If it's Sanderson or Joe Abercrombie, I'll do it because I feel like they write at a good enough pace that I, I won't be disappointed. Everyone else, if this series ain't complete, I'm not starting it. That's my mm-hmm. George R. R. Martinitis. I will not start it now. Like I said, I started reading A Song of Ice and Fire. There were three books out. So I've been there since the year 2000 with that series. <sighs> and I've been waiting for 20 years and I've gotten two books since then. So yeah, I will not start incomplete series ever again unless it's a writer as prolific as Sanderson who releases. He probably released a book while we were recording this. I mean, that's just Sanderson. <laughs> maybe yeah. he finished the novella. He did, and he, he put it out for free on his webpage, and it's five hundred thousand words. I mean, that's that's just Sanderson. He did. He's a robot. He doesn't stop writing. <laughs> yeah, my brother-in-law just got Dark One, so I'm gonna go over read that. He's gonna cool. lend it to me. All right, so that's a, that's a wrap for Peace Talks. This has been really fun, guys. Um, before we close, I think we, we, man, we've been critical quite a bit, I've, but people are not going to believe that I liked this book. I really did. People got to understand that when you, when you, when you put these things under this kind of magnifying glass, the things that you didn't like are usually going to come out more than the things you really did like, but I really actually liked the book. I gave it a four out of five. So did, did we cover your prepared worst of the best already? I have one more that I could kind of like throw out there. little, little minor thing. But I don't know if, it, if we've already done the ones you guys had thought of. I could do mine real quick. Uh, what I didn't like, like I said, I already talked about is how Ebenezer just turned into a teenage hothead in this book, it seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, but what I really did like was basically, Butcher finally solidified the Harry and Murphy relationship. You know, no more will some beasties say, oh, you and your girlfriend and Harry won't be like, that's not my girlfriend. Like he always does, you know, when someone says that. No, no more of that. So, so uh, I, that, that was what I liked the best. That and also the reference to the, uh, I don't know if you guys are as old as me, but the reference to the all of your base or belong to us, that just made me laugh out loud because that's just always something I thought was hilarious. I've used that meme for years. I think I kind of know what that is. I knew it enough where I was like, I know this is funny, but I should well, like Harry, then he exactly says, I don't funny. even know what that means. I'm like, yeah, sure you don't, Harry. Okay. Or stars and stones. It's like, you don't even know what that word means. He's like, oh, I would if you would have told me. <laughs> Things like that. The dialogue, I think, is still obviously as great as it always is. The pop mm-hmm. culture references are always on point. There's even a Buffy one in this one. So, of course, I've heard he, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard Butcher only puts those in there to make James Marsters say them because he was on Buffy. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's true. I want, okay, before I start saying the positive things, I want to say my worst of the best because I want to get one more negative thing in before I start gushing on the <laughs> book. But I'm generally not a fan of like fake deaths. Like I think that what happened in Changes, like that's an earned fake death, like where he dies, like actually has consequences from dying and then like finds a way to come back to life. Like that's earned. I'm fine with those kind of fake deaths. When it's like a fake death, like what happens here where it's like, oh, he's dead for like half a page, then that bugs me. I get that it happened so that Ebenezer could see how far he was actually willing to go and that maybe he could actually see that he was out of control and needed to give it a check. But like fake deaths just to serve like a plot device bug me. So that was my worst of the best was here's this probably my favorite scene was this duel between Ebenezer and Harry. But the fact that he like died for half a page bug me. 
I was like, really? You're killing Harry again, Jim? That's so four books ago. What are you doing? Yeah. It, <laughs> it was like the same thing when Chewie died in the last Star Wars movie for like 20 minutes. That bugged me too. We both made a right. It was not sorry. Right. Skyward. We both made Disney Star Wars sequel references to that scene. So I think maybe this is where Jim's head was at. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to frantically think of one, but I don't, I don't think I can uh, come with one. Did I take yours, Steven? No, no, no. I mean, a, oh. a Star Wars reference. A Star Wars reference. <laughs> no, uh, my my worst of the best, and I think I mentioned this, was I really liked Harry's reflection on home. The fact that he didn't have a home anymore. He talked about, you know, wanting someplace to go where he felt safe. And he's got some places that are kind of like it, but he doesn't have it. And he, and he goes back to his old sub-basement. And it's kind of this poignant moment. And... There are a lot of moments in the Dresden Files that have kind of hit hard for me. Uh, just some like inner reflections that Harry has. And I, th- I think it's really strong. And even though, I mean, Dresden is totally, it- it's more of like on the Pulp Fiction side a little bit, you know, more, more of kind of a fun romp through Chicago with magic and wizards stuff. But there's a lot of pretty nice, strong stuff here as well. And so I thought this home thing was as well. It was the worst because I wanted Harry to get some satisfaction out of this, but it didn't get tied up at all. Like I wanted him to maybe feel more at home at Demon Reach somehow. I don't know. Or just like realize that home was wherever his friends were. Some like yeah. nice or just go back like to that. Yeah, going back to Molly's, like the, when he went to Molly's apartment, or not Molly's, uh, Murphy's apartment and being like, okay, this kind of feels like home. Yeah. You know? So so that didn't happen. I'm hoping we get that in future books. I hope that Butcher doesn't just use this home idea in this book only and it becomes something that pops up in future books as well. Because I really like the idea. Seems really human. Well, maybe after Murphy dies in Battleground, Harry will move into her place and oh. it'll be like home to him. Oh, that would be devastating. And now we come, get a Mike, come on, man. <laughs> just uh, like we're, we're, we're trying to end on a positive I'm note here. I'm just mental just... armor now because I just I know it's coming. We can't get a happy ending with these two. There's no way. All right, Mike, this has been <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I think we, we've enjoyed the book. We, we do want to put that out there. Like uh, we, we tend to get overly critical. But like you were saying, when you put it under a microscope, that's just kind of what happens. I think overall, we're like generally positive. We love the Dresden universe and it was fun getting back into it, especially after so long. Really looking forward to Battleground. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting your thoughts right away as, as soon as you, uh, you read it, because you'll read it before we will. I won't tell anybody spoilers, obviously. I'm trying not to betray the trust of the publishers there. But if you guys want you to like a good thumbs up or a good thumbs down, I've got no problem telling you that part. But yeah, anytime <laughs> yeah. you guys want me on, man, I'd love to. If you run a BookTube channel and it's just you talking, you just cannot wait to actually speak to people <laughs> and have a back and forth for a change. So uh, yeah, I, that's what I miss the most about podcasting is talking to other people. So anytime you guys want to talk about something, please give me a call. I would love to... Uh, Chat up anything. Like I said, we pretty much seems like we read the same things. You know, Sanderson, Abercrombie. I think you guys are doing Abercrombie now, aren't you? I love Abercrombie. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much stuff out there to talk about that I would love to have you guys, especially the Pierce Brown stuff, you guys, because I just can't get enough people to read Red Rising. So I would love to anytime you guys want to talk. Do we have a review of the third book up yet of Red Rising? Yeah, we have the first trilogy out, but haven't got into the next trilogy yet. We are going through. Joe Abercrombie. I just finished Red Country, so I need to read. I'm actually going to read the short stories this time. So I'm going to read Shark Pens. Yeah. And then I've heard A Little Hatred is awesome. And then looking forward to Trouble of Peace in September. We're getting, we're really getting spoiled at the end of this year. There are a lot of yeah. books. Latter it's half it's of weird that in a year when there's a new Sanderson book coming out, it's not the one that I'm the most excited for. I'm the most excited for The Trouble of Peace. I've been a First Law fan since no one had even heard of it. And I still think not enough people have heard of that one. Yeah, that is still an underrated book, even though it is 
getting more and more popular. We need more first law fans out there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, check us out at Phantology Books um, online at www.phantologybooks.com. Hop on Discord. I think we may have made some mistakes. We were a little unsure on some of the details, and especially with this coming out so recently and obviously only really doing one read through. Yeah, let us know if, if we made some mistakes, Hardcore Dresden fans out there. Thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have you come on Happy another time. But uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll see everyone later. Peace. All right.